0: Today you'll be listening to two stories that have one thing in common. These stories are told by two incredible women, Sandra and Emily. It was especially difficult for me to produce this episode. When I worked on this introduction, I kept starting over. I wasn't sure where to begin. I'm still not. But I guess I'll begin with the story that I know the best. Let me tell you about my mom, mi mamá. My mother is Mexican, born and raised, and her primary language is Spanish. I speak to her in Spanish, she speaks to me in Spanish. Even though she understands English and can communicate when she needs to, my mother's language is also my first language, Spanish. So for this reason, the first half of this episode will be in Español. To go to the English part of this episode, you can skip to around 23 minutes and 40 seconds. Sandra Verónica García Cavazos nació el 5 de agosto de 1968, ella te diría inmediatamente que es Leo. Ella nació en Monterrey, Nuevo León y viene de una familia grande que a través de los años se ha hecho pequeña. Mi mamá es una mujer ambiciosa, curiosa, asertiva. No tiene problemas diciéndote la verdad. Estudió y se graduó como arquitecta a pesar de que las matemáticas no eran su fuerte. Es cocinera, estudiada del Cordon Bleu, como ella te recordaría. Tiene dos maestrías y estaba estudiando su segundo doctorado. Estuvo involucrada en la política por muchos años y yo crecí viéndola ayudar a muchas personas. Pero ninguna de esas son las razones por las cuales realmente admiro a mi mamá. El 9 de diciembre del... 2019, fue el día que yo aprendí a ver a mi mamá de otra manera. Nunca piensas en ciertas cosas hasta que te tocan a ti o a tu familia, y cuando escuchas sobre algún amigo de la familia que fue diagnosticado con cáncer, aunque sientes tristeza, no se compara al miedo, enojo, la frustración y desesperación que sientes cuando te dicen que tu mamá tiene un cáncer incurable. Especialmente cuando te dicen que solo tienes seis meses más de vida. Hola, yo soy Andrea Márquez, and this is Latin a show brought to you by La Red Hispana and the Hispanic Communications Network for the new generation of Latinx. We want to go beyond listening. We're ready to speak up. So join me in conversation every week as I meet Latinx from all over de diferentes colores y sabores. On this episode of Latinx, I will be talking to Sandra, my mother, and Emily Cuarenta, two women living with chronic diseases during the pandemic. Many of us are lucky enough to be healthy and not have to overly worry about certain things. But for someone who has cancer or multiple sclerosis, life in a pandemic is sort of a nightmare. As I mentioned before, The interview with my mother will be in Spanish and the interview with Emily will be in English. Make sure to join our community on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter at Ladenequis and reach out. You can also find out more at our website at weareladenequis.com. Hola, ma. Hola, amor. ¿Cómo estás? Bien, mi vida. ¿Cómo has estado estos días? ¿Cómo te has sentido?
1: Bendito Dios, muy bien. Voy recuperando mi movilidad, entonces muy, muy bien.
0: ¿Y quién eres? Sandra
1: Verónica García Cavazos. Soy ama de casa, ahorita, pero de profesión arquitecta. Tengo una maestría en administración de empresas y un doctorado en administración pública y pues soy de casa más que todo ahorita y me siento muy feliz
0: ¿por qué te sientes feliz? porque
1: estoy con mi familia porque les puedo cocinar tuve la oportunidad de tomar un curso en el Cordon Blue y eso lo estoy utilizando para hacer feliz a mi familia hago de cocinar todos los días y eso me hace
0: sentir muy útil y muy feliz para que entiendan todos un poquito más de quién eres En diciembre del 2019, ya casi hace un año,
1: uh-huh.
0: te diagnosticaron con cáncer. Así es. Este, ¿Y cómo fue eso? ¿Cómo llegaste al hospital? ¿Cómo te dijeron que tenías cáncer?
1: La verdad es que una noche estábamos con unos amigos y me empecé a sentir mal. Ya me sentía cansada. Sentía que no podía mover el pie izquierdo, derecho. Ese día me vine temprano y le dije a Flavio, yo creo que sí, ya mañana voy a ver al doctor. Flavio es mi papá. Sí, entonces fui a ver al doctor, o sea, en la mañana amanecí, me bañé normal, este, ya iba a verme manejando, pero tu papá me dijo, no, yo te llevo. Donde me llevó fue a una clínica de
0: de emergencias.
1: De emergencias. Y ahí ya no me dejaron salir. Me dijeron, oiga, no, viene la, la ambulancia por usted. Y les dije yo, creo que están exagerando. Yo puedo caminar. No, señora, dijo el doctor. Mi responsabilidad es decirle que no puede salir. Va a empezar a convulsionar. Le dije, ah, se me hace que no entiende el señor qué es lo que tengo. Me dice, claro que sí, tiene un tumor de casi 8 centímetros en la cabeza. No la puedo dejar salir. Pero yo desde ahí veía todo como borroso. Flavio, mi esposo, no entendía. Y también veía, este señor está mintiendo. Yo no lo entiendo, él decía. Y de ahí vino una... Cuando llegué al hospital y lo volvieron a confirmar, pues entra como una etapa de... Esto no es verdad, no me está pasando. Pero aparte no reacciones. O sea, andas como que todo lo oyes en eco. Mm. En el hospital de aquí de de Brownsville, tuve la la dicha de recibir a muchos amigos, a mucha gente, hasta el hospital dijo, bueno, ¿usted quién es? Mm ¿Por qué le vienen a visitar tanto? ¿Quién es usted? Me cambiaron de cuarto, ya no pude estar en emergencia, porque era demasiada la gente. Mm. Entonces pues ahí como que se me olvidó. decía yo, yo no tengo cáncer yo no sé que, bueno no no era cáncer, lo que primero decían era una masa en el cerebro de casi 8 centímetros uh-huh. eso es lo que era eh, me bajaron la la hinchazón del cerebro porque no me podía no me podían transportar a Houston por lo hinchado que estaba el cerebro pero gracias a Dios Reaccioné muy bien al medicamento que me dieron. Me lo desinflamaron el
0: cerebro y ya pude viajar a Houston. Y en
1: Houston ya me atendió un doctor. Bueno, pero
0: a ver, antes de llegar a Houston, ¿qué te dijeron en el hospital? Aparte de que tenías una masa en el cerebro.
1: Nada más. En el hospital nadie quería decir nada. Bueno, hubo un doctor, pero pues es que los doctores son fríos que dijo, a ver, usted tiene una masa en el cerebro, y como yo la veo, va a morir en seis meses. Y dije, no, yo ahí sí, de plano se me cayó el mundo literal. Lo primero que haces es que cierras los ojos y te salen lágrimas. Uh-huh. Esa es la verdad. Pero en el cuarto estaba rodeado de mi familia, mis amigos. Entonces, pues todo el mundo empezó a decir, a ver, esto no es tan fácil. Y empezaron a hablarle a más doctores, esa es la verdad. Y gracias a uno doctor de ellos, me mandó otro especialista a ese hospital y fue el que me dijo, a ver, si tienes una masa en el cerebro, no te podemos decir cuándo vas a morir ni qué es lo que te va a pasar hasta que no examinen esa masa. Y para hacerlo, pues vete a Houston, fue el primero que me dijo. Allá tienen el, el equipo adecuado para podértelo
0: hacer. Esa noche yo no estaba con mi mamá. Estaba en Washington, D.C., después de una noche de trabajo. Estaba pasando tiempo con unas amigas. Justo esa noche, me acuerdo que me habló mi tía, que ya estaba en el hospital con mi mamá. Mi mamá dio la instrucción de no decirme nada. Entonces, mi tía solo me habló para ver cómo estaba. Lo cual no se me hizo raro porque yo hablo mucho con ella, entonces... Me acuerdo que me preguntó cómo me iba. Ya saben, lo que suelen preguntar sus familiares. Y en ese momento me sentía muy, muy feliz. Estaba realmente feliz. Me encantaba mi trabajo, mis nuevas amistades, la ciudad. Todo estaba perfecto. La siguiente mañana, en el trabajo, mi papá me habló para decirme que tendría que venir a casa porque mi mamá estaba en el hospital.
1: Y efectivamente me fue a Houston con mi esposo y allá tienen todo el equipo y se dedican a eso, el hospital, puedo decir el nombre, uh-huh. el MD Anderson se dedica a todo tipo de cáncer, y llegué con un doctor súper especialista que había hecho, me acuerdo que mi esposo le dijo, a ver, ¿cuántas cirugías ha hecho de este tipo? Y el doctor, de ese tipo, como mil Pero en mi vida llevo como siete operaciones. Entonces, pues ya más seguridad no teníamos. Me he topado con, con Dios en cada puerta que me ha puesto. Porque el doctor hizo su trabajo excelente. Después ya me dijeron que era cáncer. Porque hasta ahí el doctor, el primer doctor dijo, yo lo veo muy sencillo. Por cierto, de verdad que fue un milagro, porque el doctor se iba el, creo que el 20 de diciembre, pues ya se iba de vacaciones, a mí me vio el viernes, el miércoles antes del 23, porque me operó el 23, el 23 de diciembre me operó el doctor, fue de verdad una mano de Dios que el doctor decidiera quedarse para atenderme y atender a un paciente más que él tenía me atendieron me operaron, estuvo muy difícil la operación, tú lo sabes pues tú lo viviste conmigo cada paso muy muy difícil pero bueno aquí estamos ya casi a un año, el doctor hizo un extraordinario trabajo luego el, la radióloga porque luego me radiaron, y luego el oncólogo, que es donde estoy ahorita con la quimioterapia. He sido muy bendecida desde la puerta que me han abierto aquí en Brownville hasta ahorita el oncólogo que tengo. Todos, todos los doctores que han pasado han sido
0: extraordinarios. El tipo de cáncer de mi mamá es un glioblastoma. Intento no leer mucho sobre eso porque si lo leo, encontraría que Un glioblastoma es un tipo de cáncer agresivo. Puede formarse en el cerebro o en la médula espinal. El tumor crece muy rápido creando presión. Síntomas incluyen dolores de cabeza, náuseas, cansancio, visión borrosa, cambios de personalidad y convulsiones. Tratamientos incluyen la radiación, quimioterapia y cirugía. Pero este cáncer no tiene cura. Hay menos de 200.000 casos en los Estados Unidos diagnosticados cada año. Es muy difícil decir esto, pero también, si lees un poquito más sobre este cáncer, encontrarás que solo el 10% de las personas que lo tienen sobreviven 5 años. Platícame tantito de tu vida antes del cáncer y ahorita que eh, tienes cáncer. ¿Quién eras tú?
1: La... Antes... No te te alejes
0: tanto a esto.
1: Yo trabajaba en el gobierno, he trabajado en mi vida en el gobierno municipal, en el municipio de Matamoros, en el gobierno estatal, en el estado de Tamaulipas y en el gobierno federal, en el gobierno de México. Eh, Soy arquitecta de profesión, como les dije al principio, entonces he trabajado en desarrollo urbano, Tuve la oportunidad de trabajar en la construcción de todas las escuelas del estado de Tamaulipas y a nivel federal manejé un programa de ayuda a las mujeres eh, de México, obviamente, eh, para que puedan construir sus huertos familiares y puedan sembrar. Le dimos a la mujer mexicana la capacidad de ella desarrollarse con las tierras que tienen en su México. ¿Me expliqué? Sí. Entonces tuve la oportunidad de trabajar y ayudar a mucha gente en el transcurso de mi vida. Eh, Soy madre de familia, soy esposa, soy amiga, soy hermana, eso soy. En eso que estuve en México, trabajando, Siempre dije que cuando me retirara, iba a estudiar cocina. Y me puse a estudiar cocina. Logré ese sueño. Estaba la escuela en México, estudié cocina. Y después, este, pues ya
0: cocino, porque no sabía ni hacer un huevo. O sea, no se me quemaba el agua, casi creo. Sí si cocinabas, solo tampoco, no cocinabas como cocinas hoy.
1: Este... Y después de ahí, pues terminé en el gobierno federal y me metí a estudiar un doctorado en la Universidad de Anáhuac en México y fue cuando me detectaron el tumor y ya me vine para acá a estar con ustedes en mi casita, haciendo de comer de lo que aprendí.
0: ¿Y cómo te sientes diferente tú ahora? O sea, cuando cocinas, por ejemplo... ¿Notas una diferencia en tu cuerpo, en cómo te mueves, todo? Digo, sobre todo porque tuviste un, una cirugía en el cerebro.
1: ¿Cómo me siento? Pues estoy recuperando lo que era antes. Yo perdí la movilidad de todo el lado derecho, ya se los había comentado. Lo he recuperado, eh, digo, lo estoy recuperando poco a poco. este Lo veo cuando cocino. Que vuelvo a repetir, me encanta, no es una obligación, es algo que estoy disfrutando. Y, pero al mismo tiempo yo quiero buscarle algo positivo, de que me permitió estar con mi hija, que está siempre muy lejos de mí. Desde la preparatoria se fue y regresó. Entonces, pues eso para mí es muy bonito. Tengo a mi familia unida aquí.
0: Antes del cáncer, mi mamá hablaba un poco más rápido repetía menos las cosas, hacía ejercicio todos los días, corría, hacía yoga, pesas, hasta estuvo conmigo en taekwondo y baile por un tiempo. Mi mamá parecía estarse moviendo todo el tiempo. Reía fuerte, sonreía mucho, era precisa al hablar y con cada movimiento. Mi mamá sigue sonriendo mucho y riendo fuerte, solo que ahora es más lenta al hablar. Se le dificulta encontrar palabras algunas veces. No es tan precisa al moverse. Ahora, el gran maratón del día para ella es caminar, a un paso mesurado, una milla todos los días. Si es que no está muy cansada por la quimioterapia. Pero eso sí, de la cocina es difícil separarla. Bueno, y una de las grandes razones por las que yo, su hija, estoy aquí es por la pandemia. Coronavirus, nada nuevo, ya llevamos... Casi un año vamos a cumplir en este mundo todos viviendo la pandemia del coronavirus. Eh, y pues claro, tú mamá que fuiste diagnosticada con cáncer y mi papá también que es tu primary caregiver, que es la persona que se encarga de, de estar ahí en, cada vez que vas al hospital, que se encarga de que... Bueno, cada cita con el doctor, él está ahí contigo. Entonces son dos personas que... Realmente no se pueden arriesgar cuando cuando tiene que ver con el coronavirus y las personas que tienen enfermedades como el cáncer son las que más alto riesgo tienen. Se tiene que hacer un MRI cada mes para ver cómo va avanzando y cómo está afectando la quimioterapia el cerebro, el cáncer que todavía está en el cerebro. ¿Cómo vives tu día a día, por ejemplo, cuando vas a Houston y tienes que ir al hospital? Y más bien también, platícame de las otras personas que ves en el hospital, que también tienen cáncer. Cuéntame esas experiencias.
1: Pues sí, mira, la verdad yo soy muy afortunada porque tengo quien me acompañe. Pero hay gente que va totalmente sola al hospital. Primero déjame te comento que tienen... En el hospital hay una fuerte medida de seguridad, o sea, seguridad de higiene. Tú uh-huh. tienes que entrar con tapaboca, te checan la temperatura antes de entrar, entras y te hacen una serie de preguntas, o sea, no entras directo al hospital, no te puede acompañar más que una persona, o a veces ninguna persona, depende quién sea el enfermo. Este, en mi caso me acompaña a mi esposo, Tiene que le pregunta todo... Le checan la temperatura... Que no haya estado... Fuera del país... Ni con gente que está, había estado... Con, este, contagiada con coronavirus... Y ya... Te dejan pasar... En el hotel... Es una... O sea... Sanitizan el cuarto... Con un spray... Pero no es un spray cualquiera... O sea... Para que pueda... Antes de que tú entres... Es un spray que mata todo tipo de virus y bacterias. Mm. Los elevadores nada más pueden subir la familia o junta. Ya no te puedes subir en los elevadores con más gente. Eso pasa también en el hospital y el hotel. Entonces, prácticamente, hacemos todo eso, vamos a nuestras citas, nos regresamos al hotel y nos regresamos a Brownfield. Mi vida ha sido un... Mi casa y los viajes a Houston al hospital.
0: Y se van en carretera.
1: En carretera. No podemos viajar en avión ahorita, pero no por por la pandemia más que todo. O sea, no puedo. Yo tengo que aislarme lo más que pueda de gente que pudiera estar contagiada. Y en un avión, pues es difícil controlarlo.
0: Y si tú, eh, si no fuera por la pandemia, ¿podrías estar viajando normal? ¿Podrías ir a Washington a a a visitarme?
1: Sí, sí podría estar viajando normal.
0: Esa es mi mamá. Y ver a una de las mujeres más fuertes que conozco luchar contra el cáncer ha sido, hasta ahora, de las lecciones más grandes de mi vida. Como una persona que tiene cáncer y está viviendo por esta pandemia, ¿cuál sería tu mensaje para otras personas que también tienen otras enfermedades similares como las tuyas de alto riesgo durante esta pandemia?
1: Primeramente hay que asumir nuestra nueva realidad. Nuestra nueva realidad es con una pandemia más tu enfermedad personal. Hay que cambiar muchos este. Modo, o sea, de tu modo de vida tienen que cambiar muchas acciones por ejemplo, si no salías a hacer ejercicio procura salir a hacer ejercicio tu alimentación tiene que ser buena busca una una actividad que disfrutes para que la uses como terapia por ejemplo, en mi caso fue cocina si trabajas toma todos todas las medidas de precaución no lo tomes a la ligera porque la verdad, yo he conocido muchos casos que les da COVID y mueren. Entonces, no lo tomen a la ligera. No, no quiere decir que se encajonen en su casa, sino más bien busquen actividades, les digo, como el caminar, el disfrutar juegos de mesa con su familia, Busquen pasar el tiempo con su mente ocupada en esta nueva realidad, pero sean felices. Te quiero agradecer por darme la oportunidad de platicar contigo y con tus radioescuchas. ¿Es radio o qué es? Bueno, si necesitas mi agradable voz...
0: Como mi mamá, hay muchas personas que están viviendo historias difíciles durante esta pandemia. Muchos seres queridos han fallecido, perdido sus trabajos, se han enfermado. Y para muchos que tienen enfermedades crónicas, cada día parece ser una batalla. Como para Emily, una joven que fue diagnosticada con esclerosis múltiple. This next section
2: is in English. My name is Emily. My pronouns are she/her/Aya, and I am working with URGE, a nonprofit um, here in South Georgia. So I work with college students. I um, just help them, you know, become to the activists that they would like to thrive as, and um, we address a lot of reproductive justice issues um, and. For me, that's like my biggest passion is reproductive justice. So um, I went to college here at Mercer, graduated this year, still doesn't feel like it's real (laughs) because I didn't have a graduation ceremony. Um, And I had a, so I, I majored in gender studies and global health studies um, yeah, I'm Mexican American. Um, I was born and raised here in Georgia. That's all I know. Um, last year, I got to visit Mexico for the first time since I was seven. Um, and yeah, I'm the oldest of three girls. Um, yeah, that first generation is a college graduate background. And also, I'm originally from the metro Atlanta area. So it's very different here in South Georgia, where like the population is not as diverse. And um, yeah, it's much more rural than it is in Atlanta, at least. I'm married um, to someone who's in the Air Force. And yeah, so I right now, um, we're living apart because of training. So I have to navigate this situation all by myself but not really, but also really. (laughs) That's interesting. How long have you been married? Two years. Two (laughs) years, okay. Two and a half, I guess. How often do you talk? Do you talk every day? Do you FaceTime? How do you... Uh, We talk every day. Um, He only started training, like, earlier November, and so... um, Yeah, like we talk every day, we FaceTime as much as we can. Um, Like there's not a time that we're not texting each other. (laughs) I'm always just sending texts like, hey, I'm driving here. Hey, I made it here. Uh, (laughs) And uh, just checking in, especially with my injections, um, with my condition. He's always like, are you actually taking them on time? Because I hate doing them. (laughs) I hate needles. And um, he's been very helpful in keeping me accountable with my medications it's weird um i don't I, I, that's all i can describe it as is weird because of the situation now where we really can't see each other um, mm-hmm. i can't travel as often as i can can you talk to me a little bit about what condition you have yeah um i have a uh, multiple sclerosis i was diagnosed in J- july of this year so um before the pandemic happened um I got sick in February, like late February. People thought that I may have had COVID, but I'm like, no, these symptoms are nothing related to COVID. Um, It was all just fatigue, dizziness, like vertigo, um, nystagmus, where my eye couldn't really see the peripherals of my vision. Um, I spent two weeks like that where I felt always... Like I could not really take care of myself because I it took a lot of energy just to get into the shower and to hold myself up. Um, I didn't know what was going on and it felt scary, but I was just hoping that like maybe tomorrow I'll wake up normal, um, whatever normal is now. But I was just hoping like at least like I just want to be able to walk straight without looking like I'm drunk, going from side to side. I like would have to cover one eye and just try to walk straight if I could. Um, the, the heat, uh, I felt like for some reason, everything felt very hot all the time. Now with the cold, everything hurts. It feels like my bones hurt. <laughs> um, and yeah, like it's just like an intolerance to temperature. And I'm trying to think of other symptoms that I felt, but it was just, it was a big disruption in my life. Those two weeks of whatever symptoms I was feeling, I didn't know what was going on. I had no idea that it was going to be MS. Um, I had gotten I, like as soon as I started like getting better, I went to the doctors to go see what, what was going on. A lot of them couldn't tell me anything. And so they referred me to a neurologist. We did MRIs. We did blood tests. They all were all coming back in like either my blood tests were coming back normal and my MRIs were showing something odd, like two spots in my head that um, were in my frontal cortex. And, um, and so we just kept doing more tests. And then eventually it was down to a spinal tap to really come down with like actual conc- actual conclusive results. And I did my spinal tap in late May. So I had to do a lot of these things all on my own in the hospital. I didn't have someone to hold my hand there. I like I was in an, in a, in a gown already ready to have a spinal tap done to me and I was my partner like Nate he was he was in the car the whole time just worrying. To, he couldn't text me half the time because I didn't have my phone on me and it was really scary to be doing all those things all alone. And not know what the results were going to be, and having to wait for those results. And eventually, I was sent to another specialist that the neurologist sent me to, and I got my diagnosis there that it was multiple sclerosis, relapsing and remitting, a mild form. Um, I was told that I could have a normal life um, and continue with like what I expected to have out of life, you know, have a family, um, work and live on my own if it came down to that. Um, And yeah, I think like the main thing that they were honing in on to keep me calm was that I could still be normal, whatever normal could be, but um, I needed to have treatments in order to prevent another relapse of symptoms. And sometimes those symptoms can be like my fingers go numb or my whole like side of my body goes numb um, or just being so tired. my vitamin D levels were so low that I had to get supplements prescribed to me. and it's made a big difference now that I've like gone through like through about like six refills now. so I feel back to my normal self <laughs> and I can actually function throughout the day without having to feel so tired after going for like a small walk around the apartment building. And yeah, like it was just it's been a lot. Happening at the same time with COVID because I'm finding out in the middle of a pandemic that I have something wrong with my immune system. And the, the problem with MS is that your immune system is working too hard and it's also attacking your central nervous system, which is causing all the problems with balance and vision. And uh, yeah, like, I, I, so far, thankfully, I haven't had a relapse because of the medications I'm taking, and I'm supposed to have a checkup to see if my MRIs are showing that there's no new changes to any lesions in my brain, and I can only hope for the best with these treatments. I have to inject three times a week, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and I absolutely hate needles.
0: <laughs> After this, we had to pause for about two minutes because, to my surprise— Hearing Emily's story triggered some emotions in me that led to a couple of tears. I can't say for sure what caused it, and it might have been the thought of Emily going through this on her own, while, at the same time, imagining my mom going through everything she went through alone. Every story is different, of course. Cancer is different to MS. Before this interview, there wasn't a lot that I knew about multiple sclerosis, A quick search reveals that multiple sclerosis is a disease in which the immune system eats away at the protective coverage of nerves. Basically, it disrupts the flow of information between the brain and the rest of the body. It causes symptoms such as vision loss, pain, fatigue, and impaired coordination. All symptoms and their severity vary from person to person. Like my mother's glioblastoma, there are fewer than 200,000 cases in the US per year. This condition also can't be cured. But in Emily's case, her prognosis is good. And as she mentioned, she can live a long, happy life. So as you're telling me these things, you're navigating a pandemic. You are your husband is not with you. How does it feel every day with the simple things when you go out of the, on, into the street, when you have to buy go into a store and buy something or if you're meeting any of your friends or going to work? What are the things that go through your mind when you have to do these things?
2: Well, thankfully, I don't have to work in person anywhere Um, with urge. We are mainly working from home. Anything that had to do with travel is canceled for the remainder of until there's probably a vaccine. Uh, So I'm very privileged in the fact that I'm employed and that I have an employer that cares about us, that we're not being put at risk. But when it comes to like every uh, every day stuff, it's just it's a lot to think about because you have to remember that like that it's not the same out there and that there could like I'm if I think too much, I start to worry too much about the like anything I touch. Um, and the only times I ever go out is really to get my um, blood pressure medicine because I have high blood pressure. Um, going to Walmart grocery shopping now alone um that's another thing where i get really frustrated i'm like just going out in public brings a lot of emotions of like anger anxiety and a bit of depression because it feels like nobody cares about you it feels that um i like i look normal whatever normal would be i look like i'm able like i'm able-bodied and i can walk and i can um move around like most people but um it's it it frustrates me because all i want to do is scream and say i have this thing that like puts me at risk like i can't live how everybody else lives, like it's a, it's a new normal for me. And I just, I feel so frustrated that I'm just like, how can you not care about the people around you? Like, how are you going to have your nose poking out of your mask? <laughs> how are you not going to wear your mask? How are you going to take off your mask immediately after getting out of the building? Like um, for me, I'm just, I'm always wearing the mask coming like as soon as, before I even leave my apartment I'm wearing the mask until I get to my car then when I have to get out of the car I have to I put my mask on and then I once I go into the building wherever whatever building I go to I um keep the mask on and I I sanitize as many things as I can and then going back into the car I first sanitize my hands and then I sanitize my keys and I start sanitizing everything and then I take off my mask and it just feels like um frustrating because I also like when it was in the middle of summer I would also complain about not being able to breathe in my mask because I was just like this is stuffy in here it feels gross um I don't like my hot breath hitting me back in my face so I understand the frustration of wearing a mask but um but I still kept it on. I'm like, no matter how uncomfortable I am, I know that like I'm healthier than the person next to me and I don't even know what they may have either. So I, for me, it just made me more, um, it made me consider more like, I don't know what people have, like what they're dealing with. So I'm not going to even risk it. And, uh, I don't eat out. If I do go, if I do get food, I pick it up and I'm doing the same thing of like the same routine of like Trying to be safe, keeping my distance. And it's really irritating when people don't keep their distance from me. Um, I try to stand far from them in line. Um, and whenever I do pick up things, I'm trying to be on time, punctual, so I can get in and out as quick as possible. Going to drive throughs, I keep my mask on too. I'm just like, I'm just, it feels like I'm being too precautious, but it's just like, I, I, I feel like it's a, a form of respect for the person who is serving me who has to work in per- like in the, in a building and i also like i want to protect myself so i feel like it's just that that kind of mutual respect and i feel like that's what's missing at least in the area that i'm at because a lot of people will just have the nerve to show up without a mask and and it's just it's just frustrating um i wish it was easier, that I wish people could actually stay at home. A lot of the people that I do know that are my age, they were... I thought that I had like some type of support because I'm like, oh, these people are also advocating for folks to stay at home at the beginning of this whole pandemic here in the United States. And now I see them going to bars saying, oh, we socially distance. But I'm like, you're not socially distancing at a bar or they're going to the... They're go to Disney World, or they're going, um, <laughs> they're going to like these music events in our city, or they're just, or going to football games. I'm, I, I see that they're that they're frustrated as well that they're also giving into that temptation of wanting to be around people, but I don't have that luxury, and it feels like I'm being left out, and I'm just like, okay, well, I'm being left out but I'm still being healthy. Like I'm going to be healthy. I'm going to, um, I'm going to I'm like, I'm going to get through this. <laughs> um, I think one worry is just that if I do end up like testing positive and, ha- and having symptoms, um, my worry is like, I don't have anybody here in my apartment to take care of me. I have two cats and they're like having toddlers <laughs> and they wreck the place. And, um, and, but like, if I get sick, like, I don't really have anybody to help me out. I have high blood pressure. If there's an emergency, it's going to have to be like an ambulance call. And just thinking about that cost. I'm just like, oh, I don't want to think about that. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, like I'm all alone. And even if I had Nate here in the apartment, he wouldn't be able to be in the same room as me because he's like, yeah, it's just it, it's the two of us. So we have the that privilege of like being young and it's just being us. So like if we did get sick, we wouldn't see my family because they live two hours away from here. And um, if anything, like he still has his job security because he's in the Air Force. Um, but it still worries me. I'm like, what could happen to us if we did get sick? Because of I, I felt like at the beginning I was taking in too much information about what could happen to our bodies. And for me, I'm like, my heart's the most important thing because it's been the one that's um, been affecting me for a couple years now where I had a heart condition. I got it. Um, I got the condition cured. I had a cardiac ablation for my supraventricular tachycardia and <clears throat> that was last year. So this year has just been an issue of my high blood pressure and the medications I take, keep it regular regulated. Um, but yeah, it's just been constant, <laughs> constant doctor's visits and it just feels like in those settings of like, uh, healthcare settings, those are the only places I feel the safest at, um, and no place else. So it's just frustrating. Um, and I try to see the bright side of things, um, especially with the mask. I'm like, it's winter. My face is warm now. <laughs> um, it's really something. It's. I was not expecting to have this issue into this year. I did not expect to get diagnosed with MS because my family doesn't have any history of neurological disorders. Emily, you have a lot
0: going on. <laughs> you know, hearing you say that you feel like you're going overboard almost with, there is no going overboard. I don't believe that. I've seen My father sprays, we bought alcohol bottles and we spray everything, everything. And like, I try to understand people because I I get it. There are people who have that luxury, that are young, that are completely healthy, have nothing to worry about, um, that if they get COVID, they got COVID and they just move on with their lives and then, you know um so they're out there you know going to events and doing a bunch of things it's always important to know that there are many people out there who are going through things that like emily is going through and sandra my mother and out of respect it's a very simple thing to just wear a mask if you have a chronic disease And as you say, you try to look at the positive things. It sometimes gets really difficult, right, to to stay in that mentality. Especialmente cuando ves otras personas viviendo sus vidas como si nada. And you're young. You want to live life. You want to do things. You want to go places. Um, So what would be your recommendation to someone else around your age who?
2: also has a chronic disease and feels very frustrated just like you do i think it's just my mindset i'm just going to say well, like what's helped me out is just like my mindset has been like i can only control what i can control i can't control what other people other other people are going to do um and that is something to get comfortable with except is that acceptance in that grieving process because at the beginning we were all grieving a lot of what was changing and things are still not back to normal Um, and one thing that helped me out the most was finding support groups either on Facebook or on an app called Almighty where people could just talk about Something that was like, oh, like what's something that brings you joy or what's something that's been bothering you lately? Like just to just vent it out and then have people also relate to it. Having those support groups have been very helpful because it makes the things much less scary knowing that there's someone else who's going through the same thing or something similar. And that you are not going through it alone. Um, cause it feels very lonely having to stay at home and not being able to interact with people the way we used to. And now it's like more important to find that community digitally. <laughs> mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, like there's, there's a lot of people who are going through the same thing and it's not just, uh, it's not just a, specific individual experience i think that um it's very easy to get lost in the fact that like you are physically alone um and self-isolating isn't like socially is not helpful at all with your mental health because we are social creatures so um i definitely recommend getting like getting in touch with people who are going through the same experience or similar, just navigating this pandemic with a chronic illness. And if you're able to, then try therapy. I have been going through the therapy um, through Better BetterHelp, and it's made such a big difference with the changes in my life that I've had to face like graduation, a new job, um, you know, this new diagnosis and accu- like getting accustomed to it. Like therapy has helped me a lot and it's really grounded me <laughs> in, this, in like all this because it's so easy to start uh, overthinking and, you know, thinking the worst. And uh, I think like we just need, we all just need someone to talk to that can like keep us, you know, like keep us in what's the reality and what the not just positive but like what that the, that there's still a future. <laughs> um We're not going to always be holed up in our apartments and we have all we have is each other. We have our families. Um, I I it's I don't like to talk about positivity too much just because there's that there's that toxic positivity where like mm-hmm. you be happy, but. Um, but I I want I always try to think about what am I grateful for today like if I have my MS symptoms um showing up in different small ways I still think about like well I was able to shower today like I was able to you know drive today because for me driving has been the thing that's been keeping me sane is having those drives like even though I can't stop anywhere. Just driving around has been helpful where I can still see the world and not have to be looking at the TV all the time. Um, yeah, I, like it's, it's having to be creative as well with how to keep yourself, um, entertained and busy <laughs> and also giving yourself some grace that it's not always going to be easy to be grateful or to feel like physically well. And, I've had to just accept the days where I'm so tired, I can't do anything. And I'm just like, okay, well, I'm just going to lay in bed until I'm able to get the energy to eat a little bit and then go back in bed. That's all I can do today. And that's okay.
0: For those of you who don't know him yet, Ariel, my producer, is always present during the interviews. He makes sure everything is running smoothly. And sometimes he has questions of his own what is the best way when you're having these days um, for someone that is in your life or in, in anyone else's life, you know, to, to just be there. So I don't know if, if I made my question clear, um, but you know, how, how can, how can someone just be there for someone else?
2: I think it just starts with asking, like, how can I support you? Like, is there anything that I can do to help? Um, how, like checking in just being like how are you feeling are you up for anything today um would you like company sometimes sometimes it's nice to have company sometimes it's okay to be alone and um yeah just respecting boundaries just asking like what yeah like what what would you like <laughs> like how what's the best support i can give you today and how often do you need me to check in on you um because we like, at least for myself, I don't like to feel like a burden, and I also um, still want to um, have the check-ins to um, to just talk, either talk or just to spend some time together. Um, yeah, I think it's just it starts with just like asking like those questions.
0: What I can hear from you is, you know, just having that communication is just being. Just being there for the person and, and and just, like, what do you need today from me that I can facilitate or not mm-hmm. facilitate, you know? Emily, thank you so much for for this. And that was such a great question, Ariel. I think it's a very important one, too, as a caregiver myself. Um, it's very difficult. You know, it's, it's very hard to know, to put myself in your shoes, Emily, to put myself in my mom's shoes. I can't even get myself to say, I understand. Or when I imagine it, as you said, you know, you, you don't want to even start imagining what would happen if you got COVID because, oh my God, the, the, like all of the other things that would branch out as problems that you don't even want to get there. It's the same thing for me. Like I, when I look at my mom, when I see how different she is, um, pre-cancer and now like after surgery, brain surgery, she's a different person. She, and when I see her, I just, I'm like, I can't, all I can do is admire you and, and see how I can help. My mother used to be super like active and she was a chef and she had two doctor, doctorates. I think it's what, two doctorates. She has, you know, she was a politician, an architect. She did all of these amazing things and now seeing her struggle, like going up and down the stairs, like with very simple things or seeing her struggle um, with cutting after she was like a pro cutter, like for cooking and seeing her struggle talking, just talking, you know, um, and that's why listening to your story really got to me because I can't imagine going through it alone Well, because your husband's not with you all the time, as you said. So I, um, I want to thank you for sharing this with us. And is there anything else you would like to
2: say? I think maybe kind of along the lines of like how to support someone Um, because like my mom went through cancer in high school. Um, She survived breast cancer. And one thing I saw from her when that kind of reminded me of like my situation when I was first getting diagnosed with MS was just like people giving in their own advice, like without asking made like just was just so infuriating. (laughs) Um, so if anybody like ever just like wants like someone's going through a diagnosis or just someone is just going through something, um always ask if they want advice or if they just want to be heard. Cause that was the big difference um that I saw. Um, not difference, but more of the thing that bothered my mom the most and then eventually I would go through the same thing of people saying like giving their own two cents about what was going on. Um, And you only know your own experience. And so um, when you're talking to people about what's going on with you, um, I think to be respectful is always to ask like, do you just want me to listen to you or do you want me to respond to you with advice? Um, That's, that's important.
0: <laughs> Wear a mask, wash your hands, maintain six feet between you and others. It's not very difficult. Think about what the other people around you must be going through. And as I always say, make sure to support your communities. It doesn't matter what you choose to advocate for, just go out there and help, connect, and inspire others to do the same. Thank you for listening and supporting Latin Achies. We've loved seeing the growth and engagement on our platforms. Remember to check out additional information about this episode in the description. Lastly, support us by downloading our podcast on Spotify or Apple Podcasts so you can stay up to date. And join our community on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter at Lad Reach out and let me know what's important to you. I'd love to hear what you have to say.